This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. All right, well, hey, we are wrapping up our Kingdom Builders series today. Uh, Kingdom Builders is how we start every year at Christian Chapel, and we're asking two questions when we do. Uh, First, how can I build the kingdom in my living? Uh, The beginning of the year kind of gives us a good opportunity to think about not just New Year's resolutions, but kingdom resolutions. And then secondly, how can I build the kingdom through my giving? So at Christian Chapel, Kingdom Builders is a kingdom funding mechanism. It is over and above giving, and we, through it, are able to give away between 25 and 35% of our annual budget every year to support the work of God all over the world. And so later this morning, I'm going to kind of walk you through our Kingdom Builders commitments for 2022. We're going to have an opportunity to uh, participate in that on your seats when you came in. You saw these Kingdom Builders commitment cards, um, and, and we're going to come back to those as well. Um, but every January we talk about it. It's not just about, hey, we want to raise money and then kind of do what we want with the rest of our life. Um, but we're really trying to figure out what does it mean to build the kingdom right here? And then how can, I, how can what I do right here help build the kingdom all around the world? And so this year our focus has been a little more specific on how to be a kingdom builder. And over the past couple weeks, I have enjoyed sharing with you uh, some of the men who've influenced me and helped me understand what it means to be a kingdom builder. We started off in January by talking about how it's a multi-generational kingdom that we always receive from those who've gone before us and have a responsibility to share with those who are coming after us. Um, We heard from my old youth pastor, Billy Seymour, who shared with us that it takes passion to build the kingdom. Uh, We heard from Greg Davis, our former lead pastor, about how you have to love people if you're going to build the kingdom. A couple weeks ago, my dad, Steve Dow came and talked to us about how you have to work hard to build the kingdom, that that idea of kingdom builders contains the idea of work within it. Last week, you heard from Matt and Randy, members of Christian Chapel, who uh, God interrupted their life and is redirecting them to sell everything and go live and work full-time among an unreached people group to plant the church in a place where the gospel is not known. So we talked about kingdom builders have to embrace interruptions. Uh, I want to finish up today by talking about how kingdom builders keep it going. Uh, We all have a responsibility to receive what has been given to us, to personally embrace it, and then to pass it on to those who are coming after us. And so we're going to kind of explore those ideas together today. Um, I don't know how many of you often think about your own funeral. Might be a question of your current mental state, um, you know, of how frequent that is. You're like, every day. Um, But as a pastor, I go to a lot of funerals. I officiate a lot of funerals. And I've never been to a funeral, and I've never uh, officiated a funeral where I have not asked myself two questions. First of all, What do I hope people will say at my funeral, right? And then the second one is kind of a companion question. What do I hope people won't say at my funeral? And and so one of the things that I hope no one will ever say about me in my life or after my death is that I was the weak link, right? I I never want to hear my family described as like, you know what? Angie is awesome. Connor, Corbin, Audrey, pretty great. But Chris, eh, kind of the weak link. Right? I don't want to hear, I don't want to be in the community and hear somebody say, I've heard a lot of good things about Christian Chapel, but their pastor lacks passion and is kind of lazy. Right? Like, I, I don't ever want to hear that. If we're working on a project together, I don't want you to look around and be like, hey, this would be really great if you weren't here. Uh, like, there, there's no part of me, and I believe there's no part of any of you that wants to be the weakest link in any situation. 
In 2 Timothy, we find a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Timothy. Paul actually writes two letters to Timothy. We've called them 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Very creative titles, right? Um, so, but, but that's kind of how we know them. And what we know is Paul was a spiritual mentor to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor, and Paul is writing to him to encourage him to take his place in the kingdom, to take his place in the local church, to stand for the truth of the gospel, to do it all by the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. And so, so 1 and 2 Timothy have always been some of my favorite portions of Scripture, um, primarily because over the last 20 years, I have really identified uh, with, Tip, with Timothy, like the, the young minister. Right? When I first came to Christian Chapel, I was 23 years old, fresh out of seminary. Angie and I had been married for, I think, four years that, at that time. We had our, our first little baby. He was three months old. We moved to town. And, and I got to be honest, we moved to town and I felt like a man, right? Because this was my first real job. We bought a house. I had a wife. I had a kid. I had my undergrad. I had my graduate degree. I mean, I was walking in ready, like, bring on adulthood. Ready to go, you know, ready to, like, hey, Pastor Greg, you want me to preach? I got stuff to tell everybody. I was ready to go all the time. I go in to get my first haircut when I'm in Tulsa. Walk in as a man. Sit down in her chair. She puts a cape around me, and she says, what high school do you go to? <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? And I went through, I immediately went through, I said, well, actually, you know, I just graduated with my graduate degree after I went to college, and I'm married, and I have a wife, and I'm a pastor. Um, and if you don't understand all of that, that means I'm not in high school. Not in high school, right? And, and so, so for years, there was just this, like, everywhere I went, it was like, oh, you're a pastor? That's cute. How old are you? <laughs> I've noticed recently that doesn't happen anymore. In fact, I had a conversation with a, a retired minister a couple weeks ago, and, and he was talking to me about these younger ministers. And it took me a minute to realize he was not lumping me in with them anymore. <laughs> And I kind of had that thought of like, what? wait a minute, I'm not, so I'm not, so, so this week, um, today actually is, today's my last sermon to preach in my 30s, right? Like it's a, it's, there's some big things happening this week. I think it's going to be okay. Um, you know, I'm not, not really nervous about it, but you'll know by next Sunday by my sermon title if I did well or if I did poorly, right? If I'm saying, and we're starting a series in Lamentations, you'll know 40 didn't go well. Uh, but I don't anticipate that. My plan is to start a new series in Mark 5, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but, but so as I'm reading 1 Timothy, what I'm noticing in my life is the way I read it is shifty. And I no longer read it primarily as the younger person receiving from the older person. But I'm starting to ask, who has God put in my life that is Timothy? Who am I supposed to be investing in? Who's coming after me? Who am I speaking these words of life? Now, when Paul writes 1 and 2 Timothy, I don't know if he has the imagery of a, of a chain in mind. I know he's at least familiar with it because he's imprisoned quite often. He's been bound with chains, right? He actually writes 2 Timothy. It's one of his prison epistles. So he writes from a position of captivity. And I don't know if he intentionally did it or not, but in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to hit just a couple quick verses this morning, and we'll see Paul kind of laying out this idea of don't be the weak link. 
Take your place in the chain and make sure it keeps coming after you. So we'll start in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So again, Paul's giving us, whether he means to or not, the imagery of a chain. First was your grandma, then was you. Now it's your turn, Timothy. You're not just an observer of the chain. You're not just an inheritor of the chain, but you are taking your place as a link in the chain. He's saying, I'm persuaded that that faith that lived in them, that connected them to those who'd gone before and those who would come after, that faith now lives in you. And for you and I as kingdom builders, this is where our kingdom building starts with taking our place in the kingdom, with deciding, I've heard about Jesus, but now I'm going to give my life to follow Jesus. I'm not just going to try to latch on to grandma or to mom, but I'm going to take my place in it myself. Paul says, then once you have done that, it's your job to be an active link in the chain. In verse six, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So what's Paul telling Timothy? He says, look, when you become a part of this chain, God has a plan for you to work, right? And you're going to work hard to put your gifts to work. What I want us to think about this morning is each one of us have been gifted by God to build the kingdom right where we are. And God expects you to fan that gift into flame. You're not sitting around waiting for someone else to come and pat you on the back and say, hey, you can do it, let's go. You recognize, I am a man of God, I am a woman of God. I have been called, gifted, and placed in this position for this purpose, to build the kingdom here. Again, Paul's message is to Timothy, a young leader who he's gonna ask to do some pretty bold things. And in this space, it's a good reminder to you and I as well. Just like for John and Didi, what God called them to do, he then equipped them to do. What the task he gave them, he also gave them the gifts to accomplish it. And God's going to do the same thing for us. So if we're thinking of chain imagery, what we're thinking of is active chain links are the strongest chain links. Right? It's hard to rust and become brittle when you're actively engaged in what God has called you to do. Paul continues on down in verse 13 and 14. He tells Timothy, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So a couple things I want you to notice here. First of all, Paul tells Timothy, fan into flame the gift that's been given to you. There are a couple gifts we're pretty sure that Timothy had. Right? Whether he knew it or not, he had been gifted as a leader in the church and what Paul makes clear here is he encourages Timothy to keep the pattern of sound teaching is that Timothy is going to continue teaching. So he also has a gift of teaching. So Paul's telling him, look, you're going to fan the flame, fan into flame the gift that's been given to you as you continue the, to, to teach the things that have been given to you by me. So he's telling him, look, your, your connection in the chain is ongoing to those who've gone before you and your responsibility is ongoing to those who come after you. To put it in the language we're using this morning, what Paul is telling Timothy is kingdom builders, keep it going. It cannot stop with you. Over the past couple of weeks, I've, I've had a couple of hopes as we've worked through this kingdom builder series. First of all, I hope it's given you an opportunity to look back on who has invested in you so that you can be part of the kingdom. 
I hope over the past month you have sent some text messages, some emails, maybe even made an actual phone call right? Who does that anymore? But I think some of you might. But hopefully, you've reached out. Maybe it was to an old neighbor, and maybe it was to an aunt or an uncle. Maybe it was to a classmate from college. Maybe it was to an old youth pastor, a pastor, a professor. I don't know who it was, but I hope at some point over the last month, you have recognized God put someone in my life who helped me take my place in the kingdom. And I hope you've reached out to them and let them know. And if you haven't, I'd encourage you to do that this afternoon. I've been on, on both ends of those, and I can tell you every time I've sent that message, it has always been well-received. And every time I've received that message, it's always been incredibly encouraging to me. I was talking to Andrew, our media director, earlier this week, and I, as I often do, I'd interrupted him in the middle of something he was working on. And I, I just said, hey, Andrew, he was like, oh, oh, hang on, I'm finishing an email. He said, I'm emailing a guy who back when I lived in London, I was volunteering doing the media stuff at my church. My computer crashed. I was broke. I didn't have money to buy one. He gave me $1,000 to buy a new computer. I'm just sending him an email to let him know that that computer just died. Christian Chapel just bought me a new one. But that $1,000 investment he made in me eight years ago has turned into all of these ministry opportunities that God had prepared me for today. Can you imagine what it's like for that guy just going about his day and suddenly gets that email? And here's what I want you to know. You have the potential to share that kind of encouraging news with so many people in your life. So take some time. Do it this afternoon. Do it this evening. Make it a priority to happen. And, and my other hope is as we look back at those who've gone before us, that it also causes us to take a sense of responsibility for those who are coming after us. And to say, what has been done for me, I will do for others. I will keep it going. It's not going to stop with me. A couple of weeks ago, I saw a, a couple uh, young, younger guys that were here on a Wednesday night, and they were serving with our, our ranger group, with our little boys. I don't know if any of you have ever served in there. It's the Wild West out there. Like, it's just, it's so much fun. I fill in once or twice, and they ask me not to come back because there's no rules. I just run around and yell with them, and it's really enjoyable, right? But, but I saw a couple of them and, and, and kind of had some conversations with them before they did and, and was a little surprised, said, hey, what are you doing? They're like, well, you know what? We figured when we were little and terrible, people did this for us, and it's our turn to do it for someone else. Right? And, and that's, that's what it means to be a kingdom builder who keeps it going. It means I have a recognition of those who've gone before me. For Timothy, it's his grandmother and his mother. But it also means I have a responsibility to those who are coming after me. A couple weeks ago, we asked all of our staff pastors and our media director to sit down and just tell us part of their story of who invested in them and what are they doing with it. So I want to share some of those with you this morning. This is what it looks like to be a kingdom builder who keeps it going. My name is Lauren Gankars. And I'm a daughter, wife, mama five, and worship pastor here at Christian Chapel. My name's Kareem Katia, and I'm a husband, a father, coach, and the youth pastor here at Christian Chapel. My name is Amy Byler. I'm a wife, a mom, and the children's pastor at Christian Chapel. My name is Chris Godfrey. I'm a husband, father, and the executive pastor here at Christian Chapel. My name is Andrew Squance. I'm a husband, a new dad, and media director at Christian Chapel. God has used a lot of people throughout my life to build his kingdom in me. My grandparents taught me in their words and actions that a life well-lived is a life of faithfulness to God. First of all is the community of believers at my childhood church. I came to know Christ with several people around me at an altar time, and three years later at that same altar was filled with the Holy Spirit. My parents taught me about kindness and living a life that is a witness to others, that the best way to minister is for a lifestyle that is attractive, safe, and welcoming to all. The first were my grandparents. 
They taught me about responsibility and gratitude and helped me understand the importance of a relationship with Jesus and a love for people. My parents taught me to love God and put Him first. My husband David has been a model for me of what God's unconditional and sacrificial love looks like. God also used my mom and dad. They taught me about giving and stewardship and the best use of financial resources were those given faithfully to the church and to missions. The second were my middle school track coach, Mr. Brunash, and my high school basketball coach, Coach Fudge. Mr. Brunash taught me about understanding my identity and becoming a leader, while Coach Fudge instilled the values of authenticity and building deep-rooted relationships with people. As a young mom at Christian Chapel, Carol Lyons, who attends here, came alongside me and showed me that God's kingdom is built on fervent prayers. She helped me see the benefits of faithful and faith-filled prayers. Second is my parents. The most important kingdom responsibility I have is raising my daughters. And my mom taught me how to pray for my girls because growing up, I would hear her pray for me. Pastor Keith Moore was one of the most influential leaders in my life. He was my first uh, pastor that I served under as a youth pastor. Pastor Moore taught me that the Word of God isn't just spiritually applicable, but practically expressed in the way we live our lives. Another huge kingdom builder for me was the film professor at ORU, Rafael Barrero, who not only poured into me spiritually, but also coached me hugely in the world of media, preparing me to step into my position here at Christian Chapel. Another person God used was my high school voice teacher, Carol Holderness. Carol was the worship pastor here at Christian Chapel, and she taught me then that God had a plan for me to use my gifts. She made space for me on her team and encouraged me to take steps into worship ministry. When I became a children's pastor, Rennie Bailey came into my life. She was our associate pastor for a time here and is my dear friend. She taught me that God's kingdom flourishes when we are in community, being vulnerable and open with each other. Ron is an important name in my personal kingdom building. I've had two pastors whose first name is Ron who have both taught me that kingdom is about people and not about checklist a very important lesson for people with personalities like me. God used so many others as well to build his kingdom and I'm so thankful for these people and the investment they made in my life. God used these men and women and so many others to build his kingdom in me and through me. I'm thankful for what they taught me and I'm trying to pass those same lessons on to those that are coming after me. I'm so thankful for every person that has poured into me and I'm trying to pass these lessons on to those coming after me. I am thankful for my childhood church community, my parents, my two pastors named Ron, and many others like them for what they taught me as I try to do the same for others. All these men and women have played a role in building God's kingdom in me and through me. As a mom and a children's pastor, I am dedicated to passing these same lessons on to the younger generation in my life. I know if we had time today, and maybe you will in your home groups or, or other avenues, you can all tell those stories yourself. Right? We, we are all the collection of so many people who've gone before us. Like every, every good thing in my life, I can point back to so many others who made it possible for me to experience it. And now where we have to come to as we're maturing as followers of Christ is this understanding of the kingdom doesn't exist only for me to receive, but also for me to give. And what has been done for me is not just done for me so I can do it for others, but is done for me so it can be multiplied in me through so many others around the world. And so this morning what we're thinking of is what does it mean for me to keep it going? And in your kingdom living, it means that what others did for you, you're going to do for your family, for your friends, for your loved ones, for your coworkers, for your classmates, for everyone you come in contact with. 
For your kingdom builders, giving, what it means is we're asking God, how would you have me participate so that people I will never meet in places I will never go can have the same opportunities that I have had to hear the gospel? So like I said earlier, you've got these little kingdom builders cards there in your seats. I want to walk you through our 2022 kingdom builders commitments that we've made as a church. Um, So $450,000 is our goal. That is what we are um, giving away this year. What we have noticed over the past eight years at Christian Chapel is every year that we set a goal, God exceeds it. To the point that in conversations with the board this year, uh, one of them actually mentioned of, hey, you know, maybe it's better to say this is our commitment, not this is our goal. Because we know we're going to do it, and we know God's going to bless, and we're going to do even more than that. And, and I really kind of like that. So our, our commitment for 2022 is $450,000. Now, in our Kingdom Builders Giving, we have three buckets. The first bucket is global missions. Through our global missions arm of Kingdom Builders, we plan to give away $300,000 uh, this year. About $140,000 of that is through the monthly support of missionaries like John and Dee Dee and so many others. We support over 50 missionaries and ministries working in 30 nations around the world. The most effective form of missions giving is regular support of boots on the ground missionaries. There's absolutely, I mean, you can give to projects all day long, but there is nothing that compares to people who are able to go live, work, learn the language, be among people full-time, planting the church all around the world. And that's possible through your Kingdom Builders giving. Now, we also have some project giving that you see behind me there. We're engaged in providing a mass uh, evangelism crusade, healing crusade in Brazil with Rubens and Steffi Cunha. We are engaged in global Bible distribution with Dax and Rachel Fears through Youth with a Mission, primarily translating the scriptures into languages that don't currently have a copy of it. We're engaged with Serving Paraguay, a children's home run by Sean and Sarah Morton. We're engaged with the Home of Hope in Dhaka, Bangladesh, run by Larry and Sharon Smith. And then we also, every year, our Christmas Eve offerings, we always uh, give to drill more water wells in Africa with Ben Wade, one of the, the missionaries that grew up here at Christian Chapel that we support. In addition to global ministry, there is also a local ministry arm of Kingdom Builders. That includes a $110,000 commitment for 2022. In that $110,000 commitment, it includes $70,000 to fund Royal Family Kids Camp and Mentoring Club. It's a free week of camp and a year-long mentoring club provided to children who are 7 to 11 years old in the Tulsa foster care system. I think this is going to be our 23rd year of providing Royal Family Kids Camp. Over that time, I I think we are now over 1,500 camp experiences that we've been able to provide to children uh, who've been abused, abandoned, neglected. We we all know enough about the foster care system to know the criteria to get in is never good. And it's a way for us to be part of providing hope and healing in the lives of those children. Through your local ministry giving to Kingdom Builders, we also support Crisis Pregnancy Outreach, an organization that helps women, babies, and families affected by unplanned pregnancies. We help to uh, fund Crossover Community Impact, a great organization working in North Tulsa to transform neighborhoods in uh, so many different ways. We support Teen Challenge Drug and Alcohol Rehabilitation Programs. You'll hear more about that later this year. We support Chi Alpha, local college ministry on the University of Tulsa campus, and also engage in local elementary schools. Um, As doors open for us, we have teams of people from Christian Chapel who go and are serving in those. 
The third and final bucket of Kingdom Builders is our next generation investments. Um, it's $40,000 of the $450,000. That includes a future church leaders internship program that we run here at Christian Chapel. If you were at the Chili Cook-Off last Sunday night, you heard me share a few of the stories of some of our uh, intern alumni and the great things that God is doing in their lives. Uh, we also provide kids and youth outreach opportunities through our Kingdom Builders Giving. So that empowers Pastor Cream and Pastor Amy, uh, our, our chapel youth leaders, chapel kids leaders, to um, just think big and dream big about how can we help kids and teenagers experience Jesus. And then we're able to, to fund that for them. We provide kids camp and youth camp scholarships. We provide mission trip scholarships to college students and to high school students. Um, and then we also support an organization called Connected Kids that's run by Dr. Barbara Sorrells. Uh, Dr. Sorrells is an expert in early childhood trauma. She is a, a devout Christian lady who's given her life to researching the effects of childhood trauma on the brain, and then primarily how to help children heal from that. So we help support Dr. Sorrells as she travels around our city, our state, and our nation, training educators, social workers, um, foster parents, parents, church leaders on how when a kid is acting out, if they're from a trauma background, how to help them, and if they were harmed in relationship, how to help them be healed in relationship. And so you do all of that and more when you give to Kingdom Builders. Right? And so what I want us to think about this morning, $450,000 is a big goal. And I don't know about you, but I know I can't write that check today. I mean, I can write that check today, but it's going to bounce really, really <laughs> high and really, really long if I write it. But here's what I want you to think about. At Christian Chapel, our goal with Kingdom Builders is really never been concerned with the amount we give individually. It's 100% participation. And what we have seen year after year after year, decade after decade, is the higher our participation, the more we exceed the goal God has put in our lives. So what I want us to think about this morning is we keep it going as you and me keep it going. Kingdom Builders is not just something the person next to you does. You might have drove in behind a car that was much nicer than yours this morning, and you've already decided they need to give more than you, Right? Because clearly God has blessed them more. You're driving the beater. Theirs looks new. Uh, you know, and, and like you were thankful for the snow because it hid some of the rust. Uh, but you're, you're just in that spot. That's not it. Kingdom Builders is not about it, me worrying about what you do or what you do. Kingdom Builders is about me saying, God, what do you want me to do? And as you do your part and I do my part, God does his part through all of us. And that $450,000 represents so many powerful stories. If we had time, I mean, literally, we could take weeks and weeks. We could do a year-long Kingdom Builder series every Sunday and only begin to scratch the surface of the stories of transformation that are occurring through our Kingdom Builders giving. But as, as we finish today, I want to just keep encouraging us. Kingdom Builders, keep it going. It's what we do. This is our job. This is our job. We just keep it going over and over and over again. But I want you to invite you just for a, a couple minutes to think with me about kingdom builders from a people perspective, not from a project perspective. Those projects are good, but they're only good in as far as they represent people that Jesus died for and wants to bring into his kingdom. And so, so to do that, I want you to imagine with me that this table is a, a dinner table, right? So maybe, maybe it's at a restaurant, maybe it's in your home, but it's a small table that you have decided to invite a group of people to. These are people you haven't met before, but you know you're bringing them in. And, and let's just say you're in a restaurant, so you know at the end of the meal, you're going to say one of the most adult things in the world. I'll take the check. <laughs> right? Like, 
You never say that before you're an adult, do you? As a kid, when my parents would say, hey, we're going out to eat, I never once said, let me get my wallet, right? When I would go out with my grandparents, I never worried about it. I knew they were getting that check, and then I knew they were going to get the check at the toy store, and then I knew they were going to get the check at the zoo, and then like, it's, it's just what they do, right? I'll take the check is a really adult thing to say. Have you ever been, were you ever a kid and you watched your parents argue with another adult over who got the check? Anybody been there? As an adult, any of you, how many of you a regular practice is to argue over who gets to take the check? Yeah, it's just, it's fun, right? As a kid, I remember sitting there and watching it, especially between my parents and grandparents. And occasionally, because I had a, a smart mouth, would tell them, uh, you guys can just give me the money. And sometimes it worked, right? Sometimes my dad, he would do the sneaky thing where we went to the restaurant and he would go ahead of time and tell the waitress, no matter what they say, I'm paying for this. And he would pay for it before they knew. And then my, my grandma especially would get really upset with him. I'm your mother and grandpa works hard. We're spending his money and we'd rather spend it while we're alive than you spend it while we're dead. I mean, she came out guns blazing with all of the things at him, right? Um, and, and so then, then my dad would be like, it's too bad, mom, I already paid. And, and then grandma would do, I loved it, but just a handful of times, she'd pull out like a couple $20 bills and she'd put them in my hand and she'd say, give these to your dad when he's not looking. And I loved it because I knew he wasn't taking it, and she wasn't taking it. And there was only one option left. And so it would go in my pocket every single time, right? It's just that, that statement of, I'll take the check, that's a statement of responsibility. It's also a statement of resource, right? That not only am I going to do it, but I, I can do it. And if you've had the privilege of maybe welcoming a group of friends out to eat, maybe taking someone younger than you out and just letting them know, like, hey, don't worry about it. I've got the check. I know I've had that experience before. I've I've taken someone to to lunch, and and, and they're in college, and they're, I mean, no offense, but you're broke in college, right? You don't, like, everything is, you're like, is this a dollar menu place or no? And so so when I go, I'll, I'll always make clear as they start to look at the menu and you can see them deciding, if I buy this, I'm not eating tomorrow. And, and you let them know, like, hey, don't worry about it. I'll take the check, order whatever you want. And then you see their eyes light up. And then it's like, I'll take the appetizer and I'll take that. And I'll, are we doing dessert or are we going to go somewhere else? Uh, you know, and, and there's just that, that point. But, but I love it. And if you've been in that spot, you love it. Why? Because it's just an opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. So what I want you to invite you to consider for just a moment is, is we are at a table, and you're the host, and you've told all of these guests before they come, don't worry about it, I've got the check. So the the first guest that you invite and comes with you, his name is Pastor Jean. Pastor Jean is a church planter in Burundi. And as Pastor Jean comes and he sits down at the table, he begins to tell you his story. You obviously discover you have a mutual friend in Stephen and Bailey Kurt. He tells you that Stephen and Bailey have come to Burundi and they've run a church planting training seminar that he's participated in. And you, you begin to tell him, hey, we know Stephen and Bailey. We support Stephen and Bailey. We've helped them build churches in Burundi. And Pastor John's eyes get big as he starts to say, that's amazing. Let me tell you about what I'm doing. And he tells you about this village where he's planting a church in 2022. And he's already moved there with his family, and he's got a job, and he's working a job, and he's doing everything he can to build relationships in the community. He tells you they started the church in his home, but within a couple weeks, they outgrew the small little house that he was living in. 
So they, they found a, a little bigger house that one of the, the new members of the church had, and they began to meet in there, and then they, they outgrew that place as well. And then they, they met on the edge of town when the weather was nice for a while, under a, a big shade tree, and, and that worked for a while, but then eventually they had to find some place inside. And, and the, the problem he's having is every place they find, they outgrow. And then you say, well, Pastor John, that's awesome. Tell me, tell me what's next for you, what's next for the church. And his eyes get even bigger, and he says, I found, I found a piece of land. It's right out on the edge of town. It's a perfect location for a new church. Stephen and Bailey have told me that for $6,000, we can buy the land and we can build a sanctuary that'll house 100 to 200 people. He said, and I've heard stories from around Burundi from other church planters, and they've told me how when I build the church, it adds a sense of permanence and stability to our ministry in the village. And people begin to know we're not just here for a season, but we're here to stay. And they've told me that when they built their buildings, they see 75 to 100 people become followers of Christ within a matter of months, every time from the date that building is finished. And he said, I'm just praying and I'm trusting that the Lord is going to provide for us. I know he's called us here. We can already see the fruits of his labor working among us. I just know, I just know he's going to provide the way for us to have a building. And as Pastor Jean sits at your table, you, you just, you can't hardly wait for him to finish to tell him, Pastor Jean. I'm not just taking the check for lunch. I'm taking the check for the church. I'm paying the whole $6,000. Go tomorrow, buy the land. I'll call Stephen and Bailey. We'll send it through them. We're going to build the building. We're going to see the church grow. And then what you know is going to happen, whether Pastor John knows it or not, is as that building is built, more church planters are going to come out of it. And your $6,000 gift is going to be multiplied over and over and over again all around that small nation in Central Africa. Pastor Jean's there, and you guys, you're excited, you're talking about the kingdom, but, but then you look, and you see there's, there's another guest who's here. This time, it's a little girl. She doesn't say much. She's very quiet. There's an adult who's brought her in. They tell you her story. She's four years old. She's from Dhaka, Bangladesh. She's a fourth child in her family. Mom and dad live in abject poverty. They live in the slums of Dhaka in a little hand-built house, if you want to call it that. They live hand to mouth. They don't really have enough to feed any of their kids. They couldn't afford their first one, and then they had a second. They couldn't afford the second, and then they had a third. And they can't afford a third, but now they've had a fourth. And for four years, they've done their best to hold their little family together and to provide for them, but they've come to the recognition that they can't do it anymore. And so they've heard about the Home of Hope Children's Home in in Dhaka. And one day they walk their daughter over to the front gate and they speak to the security guard who gets one of the administrators and they basically tell them, we can't take care of her, we're leaving. So can you please take her in? Otherwise, she's just going to be left to fend for herself. And as that little girl stands there, you welcome her in and she takes her seat and your heart just breaks because you know there's no way God would ever want that little girl to be left out. And it's your privilege to tell her, hey, listen, honey, Not only are you not going to be locked out, you're going to be let in. And I'm going to take the check. They're going to provide a bed for you. They're going to provide three meals a day for you. You're going to get an education. You're going to be surrounded by men and women who love Jesus. They're going to tell you every single day that you're here from now until you graduate high school that Jesus loves you, he knows you, he sees you, and he has a plan for you. They're going to work to help you find physical healing. They're going to work to help you find emotional healing. They're going to work to help you find spiritual healing. Most of all, they're going to work to introduce you to Jesus. 
And you're going to live in a safe and secure environment. You're going to receive all the medical care, all the dental care. You're going to receive all the education you want. Before you leave, you're going to have a trade that you can earn a living with. And most importantly, above everything else, you're going to hear about Jesus every single day that you're here. And at four years old, she has no idea the promise you've just made for her, but it's going to change her life. As you're sitting there with that story, you see there's another guest who's arrived. It's a 14-year-old boy. He's from northern India. He lives in the foothills of the Himalayas. It's literally the backside of nowhere. To get to his house, you would fly from Tulsa to Chicago to Chicago to Delhi. In Delhi, you would catch a train and you would take an 8 to 12 hour train ride through the night to get up into the foothills. From the spot where the train tracks end, you're going to get in a car and you're going to ride another 13 to 15 hours to where the road ends. From where the road ends, you're going to throw on your pack and you're going to hike for two to three days to reach the village where he lives. When you get there, you're going to find he lives in a small home with his family that they have lived in for generations. They're farmers and shepherds. When he's not in school, it's his responsibility to roam the hills around the village, grazing the sheep that are part of his family's, uh, part of his family's income. And as he begins to tell you his story, he tells you about how he's been raised Hindu, and there's a litany of gods that he's been taught to worship, and this one does this, and this one does that, and this is for that need, and this is for that need. But he tells you, you know, when, I, when I'm walking in the hills, and I look up, and I can see the 20,000-foot peaks of the Himalayas, I just always have this sense there has to be something more than these idols have been given. So I just have this, this thought in my head that there's something out there that I don't yet know about. And as he speaks, your heart is just starting to explode because you, you can't hardly wait to interrupt him and tell him, buddy, listen, I'm going to take the check. And I'm going to do something for you, you don't even expect. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to support a missionary who's going to take the train out of Delhi, who's going to get in the car who's going to drive to the road ends, who's going to put on his pack, who's going to hike to your village, who's going to sit with you, your grandparents and your parents and everyone who wants to in your village. And he's going to start to tell you stories about the creator. And he's going to tell you stories about how we were created by him. Then he's going to tell you stories about a man named Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus, there's something in your heart that's going to say, that's it. That's what I've been waiting to hear. That's what I've been looking for. And then he's going to tell you about how God has this grand plan for you, not just to know him, but to share with all the villages around you who Jesus is and what he came to do. And all you can say to that boy in that moment is, I'm going to take the check to make that possible. I'm going to support. I'm going to make it happen. You're going to see it. You're going to experience it. That's three of your four seats. You've got one left to come. You look over. It's another little boy. He looks like he's about eight years old. And he's got some of the saddest, angriest eyes you've ever seen. There's an adult who accompanies him to dinner, and you can tell from their interactions that they are not family. There's not a lot of warmth. The adult is trying to be kind, they're trying to be helpful, and yet there's a professionalism, a distance between the two of them. As you help the boy get a seat at the table, and the waiter brings over a drink and a kid's menu, you step aside to talk to the adult who brought him. You find out quickly that she is his social worker, that he's part of the foster care system in Tulsa County. She tells you just a little bit of his story. She says, dad was never part of his life. We don't know who he is or where he is. Mom had a traumatic childhood herself. She was a victim of abuse, and now she's stuck in cycles of addiction. So it's a a little boy that he's been bounced from group home to group home, from foster home to foster home. He's been cussed, he's been beaten, he's been hurt just for being a little boy and doing the things that boys do. 
He suffered unspeakable forms of abuse that, that none of us would want to discuss. He bounces from school to school. Every classroom he goes into, he causes problems. A couple of the foster families have tried to take him to church, and they've been asked to not come back. And he sits there at the table, and he won't hardly make eye contact with you, but when he does, you can see the hatred burning in his eyes. But now you understand why it's there. And so instead of telling him, hey, you need to straighten up, you need to act right, you need... just very gently through your own tears, you tell him, hey, bud, I'm, I'm going to take the check. And this summer, you're going to get to go to a free week of camp. And at this camp, you're going to be with adults who love you. you know, the whole thing is designed just for you to have fun. You're going to hear adults say yes to you more than you've ever heard them say yes in your life. You're going to get to fish and you're going to get to kayak. You're going to get, he doesn't even know what you mean, but you start to say things like, you're going to experience God in the cathedral of the outdoors. And he's like, what? But you're just so excited because you know what it means. Why? Because you're part of Christian Chapel and you know there's been over 1,500 experiences for kids just like him and you've heard or maybe you've even seen the change for yourself. And then you're able to tell him, buddy, after that, not only are you going to get to go to camp, but there's a friend of mine at Christian Chapel and God has spoken to him that he's supposed to invest in your life over the next school year. And so he, it might not be convenient for him, but he's going to give his time. And he's going to meet with you several times a month. He's going to take you to ORU basketball games. He's going to take you to driller baseball games. You're going to go to the gathering place and the zoo, right? You're just putting your buddy on the hook for everything. You're telling him it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And because what you're promising this kid is an island of hope in a sea of despair. You're offering him just an element of stability in a world that is constantly upside down. And you see as you start to have this conversation, his face softens just the slightest little bit. He says, you mean I can go to camp? But I don't have any money. And again, you're able just to reassure him, buddy, it's totally free. I'm going to take the check. I'll cover the $700 for you to go to camp. I'll cover the couple hundred dollars it takes for you to be in the mentoring club. If your mentor needs help, I'll pay for the events and activities that he's going to take you to. And in that space, it's just, it's a joy-filled experience. As you see the trauma the world has brought on this poor boy, and no, I can be just a little part of God's salvation and hope in this season. So now your table is full. There's four people. You provided for them. You've done everything that you want to do. And yet there's one more seat that God is asking us to bring to it, and, and it's one where you've got to kind of come and wiggle in a space for it. And that last one is not another need for you to meet. It's not another check for you to write. The last one is your place to sit down. See, because in the kingdom, we never minister to the needs of others from afar. But we always get up close. We always get personal. And there are a few things more personal in your life or my life than our finances. Jesus told us, you want to know where someone's heart is? Look where their treasure is. And when we're telling these people, I'll take the check, what we're saying is, I'll put my heart here. My heart will go to Burundi. My heart will go to northern India. My heart will go to Dhaka, Bangladesh. My heart will go to foster care in Tulsa. My heart will be attached and my treasure will follow. And at the end of the meal, when they come to bring the check, it's not the typical restaurant receipt. It's a Kingdom Builders commitment card. And it's a way for you and I to say, those stories are going to become part of my story. And when you do that, what I promise you is it will change the way you go to work tomorrow. 
because tomorrow is not just about sales and spreadsheets and projects. It's about I'm earning an income to be part of what God is doing all over the world. And I'm not going to give out of guilt or obligation. I'm going to give out of joy knowing that my giving makes these stories and more possible. If we were to give you an accurate reflection of your kingdom builder's impact, we'd have to go out front on the lawn. And we'd have to set up thousands of chairs and thousands of tables for you to see the true impact of what you will do this year and what you have done in past years. But for this morning, I just want you to think with me for a moment. God, what do you want me to do to keep it going? What part of that $450,000 do you want me to be a part of? And if you're in the room this morning or online and you think, hey, I can take care of that whole thing, I want to encourage you do it. And I'll find another $450,000 worth of projects by next Sunday that we will all give and participate to. See, the opportunities to spread the kingdom are limitless. They are only restricted by people who are willing to say yes, and people who are willing to fund that work. This morning is our opportunity to fund the work of God all over the world. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us, give us an opportunity to respond to what God is saying to us. The band's going to come back. They're going to lead us in a final song this morning as well. We you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we come to you today. And we are so thankful, Lord, for those that you have sent to build the kingdom in us. And now, Lord, we ask that you would help us to make a collective and individual commitment that we will keep it going. It's not going to stop with me. I will not be the weak link in the chain. I will not be the one who only receives and never gives. And so Lord, this morning, I pray especially for our Kingdom Builders commitments that you would inspire us to hear the voice of your spirit and give what you have settled in our hearts to give. Lord, for some of us, that might represent a significant step of faith or a significant sacrifice. But we believe that where you call, you provide. So Lord, today we simply want to respond in obedience to you and do what you're telling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.